Welcome back to another get another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julia Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today's podcast, A Gift from Adversity, uh, we have a very exciting guest, and today is episode 125. Before I introduce our guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same as same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. A Gift from Adversity is available on Amazon and it's the subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying and Homelessness. After I shared my story through the book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world. People are sharing their own adversities. Last year, I have decided to create this platform and podcasts that people can share their adversities and also the tools that they use to overcome in hopes of combating all these challenges that we face as human beings. And I'm very, very grateful to have over 100 guests from all over the world. So let's invite today's guest. Hello, Audrey. Thank you so much for being here today. Jerry, thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. So let's start with introducing yourself. Can you tell our audience your name, where you're coming in from today, and what you do, and if you have any social media or website that you can tell us? Sure, Jerry. I am Audrey Burnbaum. Um, I I'm a physician, a pediatric gastroenterologist, to be exact. Um, but I recently left the practice of medicine, and I devoted myself to writing a book about my father's life as an escapee from Nazi Germany. Um, the book is called American Wolf, and I have that here. Um, it's American Wolf from uh, a Nazi refugee to American spy. Um, and that came out in October. Um, I am speaking to you from Westchester, New York, and uh, I have a website, AudreyBurnbaumAuthor.com, and I'm on social media, on Instagram, LinkedIn, and um, Instagram as Audrey Birnbaum Author. Well, thank you very much. Can you hold the book one more time? So, so the video. Yes. And then you said this just came out October? Yeah, it came out in late October. How's the book and going, doing? It's going really well. I mean, mostly I enjoy, um, I mean, I wrote it as an homage to my father. Um, and he, uh, we found his notes um, about his experiences uh, after he had uh, passed away in 2018. And it gave me uh, just tremendous amount of substrate to be able to write a book. But more than that, I just really wanted to tell his amazing story about uh, his harrowing escape from Nazi Germany in 1941 and a very dangerous immigration to the US. But more importantly, just um, uh, you know, just the transition to life in America, the prejudices he faced, his own adversity that he overcame um, and the resilience that he showed in doing so and ultimately a, a happy ending, but not without its trauma, which he, you know, not intentionally, but inadvertently, you know, he passed down to me and my sister. Um, and uh, we tried very hard not to pass down to our own children, but 
I'm sure it had its effects as well. Well, thank you so much for um, talking about the book. Um, please check out her book. Um, so let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So Audrey, would you share our audience, what was your adversity? Um, so I think again, that my father being a Holocaust survivor um, had uh, faced tremendous losses throughout his uh, childhood um, and tremendous fear of losing everything. And that created a certain type of obsessive compulsive disorder where he was trying to hold on to everything. And uh, so he just did not really raise us uh, in a normal fashion would be the best way I could des describe that. So some of the things that my sister and I faced were things that were typical of, of uh, first generation Americans that I think, you know, a lot of immigrants experience, which is feeling, you know, separate from our peers, um, uh, you know, just doing things that were very un-American, you know, in terms of how we dressed and how we ate, you know, these are very like typical things. They're not, uh, you know, they may be embarrassing, but they're not really so, um, so unusual. I think what was unusual is that my father had um, uh, terrible fears about money because uh, they had lost everything when they uh, came to this country. And then they worked very hard, like scrimping and saving to try to uh, save some money here, you know, taking very menial uh, jobs. And then they lost all their money a, a second time through um, a, a my, my grandfather had acted, um, inadvertently given all of their savings to a con artist and they lost it again. <laughs> so it was bad times, hard times. And um, so they, um, so my father, um, we grew up living like in a state of what we thought was poverty, but which actually wasn't really true. My father was kind of hoarded um, money. We didn't know that we had. And we lived a, um, a very austere life where we just didn't have things, um, but to an extreme sense where a lot of things were controlled, um, couldn't turn on the lights, um, measured everything from what we ate to, you know, how much it's, it's you know, how much toilet paper we used, um, and. Um, you know, if I mean things like if we, you know, we went on a class trip, we didn't have the money for a souvenir, we couldn't wear the things that other kids wore. And I think, you know, maybe had we been really in a dire state of poverty, that might have been understandable. But at some point, um, it we realized that it that it was just imposed upon us and it was just felt like uh, like deprivation and control. So I think that was probably our um adversity and then on, on in addition to that i think because my father was so afraid of losing everything that everything felt catastrophic to him so if um if something broke um uh, he would go into a state of hysteria that felt very abusive i guess would be the and verbally abusive he was not physically abusive but um he would rain down terror upon us for every infraction. Um, and so we lived in a certain sense of fear that uh, that he could explode at any moment. Um, so that's the uh, 
kind of general synopsis. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. This is a very rich conversation, and I really can't thank you enough for sharing this. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did your father tell you guys when you were growing up what had happened to him? Yeah, so, you know, there there are um, kind of two groups of people who survived the Holocaust, ones who don't talk about it at all and ones who talk about it a lot. So we were in the uh, latter camp where um, my father had regaled us with stories from a very, very young age. My sister and I, uh, you know, always talked about how we watched Holocaust documentaries from when we were very, very young, too young, um, because he was immersed in it and wanted to like relive it um, over and over. So we, you know, saw the emaciated bodies being thrown into the pits, you know, uh, some I remember, you know, from when I was four or five years old watching, you know, those things long before I could really understand it, but but at the same time was, you know, horrified by it and, and in some ways traumatized by it. And then he told us his stories too. Um, and until at some point we just kind of knew like, okay, he escaped, it was late, he was, the war had already started. Um, but again, we, we didn't really understand the emotional um, context of, of it because we were too young. So we just knew these things happened and they took on this sort of air of importance. Like, oh, my dad was really important. He was a Holocaust survivor, but we didn't really understand what he had experienced in terms of loss. So we couldn't put it in the context of his behavior. So there was a disconnect between what had created all this anxiety and fear and what he had experienced. So we just thought he was me. <laughs> we just like we didn't get it. We just were mad because why is dad so mean? Why is he yelling at my mother all the time? Why is he yelling at us all the time? Why is he going hysterical in the grocery store because they didn't have the sale item that they said they were gonna have? Why is he yelling at the grocery clerk? Like we just didn't really, we couldn't put it together at that young age. We were just embarrassed. We just felt embarrassed and small. So, it, you know, it didn't really, it took me, you know, into adulthood to, to forgive him. And it took me until I wrote the book and really read his, his story of his life to really fully understand him and be sympathetic. And have you ever gotten bullied at school or discriminated because of um, what happened to your father, etc.? Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think we were so, um, so different that um, I, uh, so I mean, I, we dressed so differently. We're so different. My, my mother took me to um, a barbershop to get my hair cut off when I was like six. I had a boy's haircut. Um, I and then to a, a beauty school for like a $2 haircut after that. And then we wore dancing pants, which were like stretch pants, you know, they're like leggings, very in style now, but the, everyone was wearing jeans. And uh, when I got my first pair of jeans at a, at a thrift shop, it was not a thrift shop, but it was like a 
there was like a, a we called it a bazaar, like a local Y. And I got a used pair of pants and I announced in school in third grade, I got my first pair of jeans, they were 25 cents. <laughs> and from then on, like everybody called, they, they made a circle around me and, and like chanted cheap, 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 Audrey's cheap, cheap, cheap. So yes, I, I would say that I was, um, I was believed, yes. And I was very different. And I, you know, I ate like, this is my bio, I ate liverwurst sandwiches, you know, people made fun of me because it was liverwurst, which, but again, that was more like trying to keep up a certain calm culture um, of like Germanness because my father, despite being ex expelled from Germany for, for being Jewish, he, he was very connected to his German culture and tried to maintain that um, for reasons that are um, not 100% psychologically clear. Um, you know, some of it might have been homesickness, but some of it was, I think, that because he even here in America was rejected as not being American enough, he just decided to say, well, if I'm not going to be American enough, I might as well just be, you know, proud of my Germanness. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. How about, um, so that was elementary school. How about middle school, high school? Did it continue or stop? Um, I would say by high school, um, it stopped because I went to high school in the city. Um, I went to a big high school, I went to Stuyvesant. It was huge, you know, 800 plus kids per grade. Um, plenty of kids who were from like poor immigrant backgrounds, tremendous diversity. And you could just sort of redefine yourself and find your own group. And and I got to do like a lot of things, you know, you know, I would, I, was in a music group and I was, you know, I did like some journalism for a while and I was in the, or, you know, orchestra or band, symphonic band. And there was just like uh, the kind of experience like a person might get from going away to, to college where you get to sort of like redefine yourself and you're outside of your own neighborhood. So I think that it was, uh, there was, and I was commuting, you know, so there was a, a certain freedom that I experienced, um, and my sister went to music and art high school in the city. So I think both of us experienced this sort of, you know, a little bit of a, a, a an environment of acceptance um, by being outside of. I, I, you know, I think had we lived in a suburban neighborhood, I think it probably would not been uh, good to, you know, too uniform and enclosed. Thank you so much. And then, so you would say around high school, because of diverse um, community, and then also maybe college and then adult life that maybe you had experienced less than maybe the elementary. Yes, I I, I think so. I don't think I think our home life wasn't good. It was not. Um, um, and, and I, I just to clarify, like I, I don't think, think like we ever doubted that our parents loved us and provided for us and cared about our education and everything. I think they just it was um, in between that there was just um, this anger and fighting and crying and my parents fighting and crying. You know, a lot of this just um, overwhelming 
sense of my if we wouldn't didn't behave a certain way my father would just you know tell us we were bad we were terrible we were ungrateful we were spoiled um you know there was a lot of the dialogue so home wasn't good um but school was a and our activities and our hobbies and everything was a great like source of relief to us and yeah i don't think no i don't think we were bullied after after that so by sharing your story especially in your profession as a doctor and then um maybe having this open conversation have you ever gotten any backlash even like recently after especially october 7th um are you experiencing any of the pressure or anything to talk openly about this topic? Uh, the topic of my father's Holocaust experience, is that what you're saying? Yes, and then especially you published a book recently. Yeah, then- you know, it's a, it's a great question and it's hard to, I have not gotten any backlash and, and thank you for asking that. Um, uh, I think there is was there's been a bit of a worry like would how would the book be received in in this time would people still be interested in reading it um you know and and my feeling is my sense is that people are still interested they the, the people who want to read it still want to read it and maybe there's people out there who don't um because they have their own you know prejudices and maybe they those people would never want to read it anyhow so I feel like there's still tremendous interest. And I would say that from my standpoint, when could there be a better time to remember um, the plight of Jews, the constant plight of Jewish people being expelled from wherever they are and needing a safe haven? That that has people have to be reminded of that. Because when I first wrote the book, I was, you know, the, the, the constant thing that Jewish people say is, you know, never never forget. Um, and it's too easy, you know, I think even my own children felt, felt like distant from my father's story. Um, you know, that the Holocaust still to them seems like something, like it's a piece of history, but it's not something that they feel so directly connected to, even though they had a living relative who had that experience. So I think that the sense of trying to tell a personal story that people can relate to and feel like an emotional connection to, um, you know, because it's I wrote it in first person voice it's not my father's words it's my words but it's written as a first person narrative in a a very like emotional compelling way so that people can feel like they're there going through it in real time and and that makes people you know you have to feel something you can't just tell the history um because then it's like reading about a war somewhere So do you think the current event, I know you you just published the book, what's going on in the world and is seeing all this crazy news. I'm a journalist, by the way. And then oh. I covered many stories of war. And then I even um, covered recently about the protest and then stand out, uh, ceasefire. And then no, oh, I, I covered Ukrainian war stories. And I just want to emphasize that you know, these stories are so absolutely horrendous in any parties, but then children are the most vulnerable ones that are 
completely affected. And then intergenerational trauma, like what you had experienced, it's directly trickled down from what your father had experienced. So it would be so hard to even like see the news if I was you. I really try to be as emotionless as possible unbiased as possible when I write a story as a journalist because it's my job to tell the story. But then did you feel a lot more traumatized because of recent news or because you're writing the story? Like how how are you handling your emotion? Um well I've tried not to read too much social media because I think that's really what the problem is. It's not the news the, the uh, you know, objective news, I read the New York Times and try to get objective news. And I try to read, uh, see both sides of an equation in an objective way that doesn't distort the facts. And I think you can um, have sympathy for victims of war on both sides always, right? I mean, I think you, you, know, you can feel for the Palestinian people People at the same time as you can feel the horrors of um, what happened on October 7th very deeply. I think where you run into trouble is when you start to hear um, propaganda. And you hear that most when you start to listen to social media. And I think that's like, you know, when you start to scroll through Instagram or something, I think that's where it starts to get really dangerous on any side that you're on. Um, so I, I feel like that's really the, the problem is that people are being propagandized and um, with narratives, you know, and it's even happening, you know, it's happening at a school level. And that's what concerns me the most is, is, um, is that people are not being driven by, by facts or history, but by narratives. And that that's even being taught, you know, on a, on a college and even high school level is narratives. So that's what concerns me. And my concern is that, you know, that that will lead to uh, a new narrative that that uh, that erases the Holocaust and says it didn't really happen. Um, you know, just like a lot of people have erased the the, the facts of, of of the formation of Israel, like that there were no indigenous people there, of Jew, Jews there. I've heard that narrative and that's not completely untrue. So I, when, you know, you start talking about people's narratives that are not factually based, then we run into serious trouble and you're going to start to see Holocaust denial everywhere. So that's that's my concern and that's why it's so important to get these stories in, out to young people. It's young people that that need to hear facts and truth. Um, and, you know, if they're not hearing that, then we have not done a good job with their education. And there is no mandatory Holocaust education in most of this country. Um, even New York State doesn't have a mandatory Holocaust curriculum. Um, that's really, really concerning to me. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I had an honor and an opportunity to observe my son's middle school in Foxborough, where they invited one of the teacher's cousin, who's a direct survivor of the Holocaust. And then he is 95 years old. And then we got to Zoom with him and the students were able to um, ask some insightful questions such as, do you still have a tattoo? How did you get rid of it? And he said he kept the tattoo 
as a reminder to fight the hatredism. And it was very impactful because it was a direct quote. And he said he was volunteering on the weekend so he can get extra food, but then he didn't have food. And then he ate some grass and got diarrhea and stuff. So it was very, very, he was a kid. And then it's very, um, in a way that the kid was talking. He's 95 years old man, but it was very interesting to hear how his perspective was formed during the Holocaust when he had survived. And he saw elderly people getting ex executed faster than the children. And then um, it was very um, thoughtful for the seventh grader to empathize and then try to understand um, what had happened to him. And it's so appreciative that you wrote this book about your dad and then an experience that you shared here today because I believe that conversations such as this um, is so exclusive, so, so, so important, extremely important. I has, um, I was told my grandmother um, during World War II, how she was orphaned, how she raised her children, no, kids around her are all orphans. And then how she was a little bit older, but she had to raise kids around her who didn't have any parents. And then um, when she got cancer um, in her seventies or so, she told me that I, I flew back to uh, Japan to see her and she said, why are you even here? Cancer is nothing compared to World War II. And it's like sense of this resilience. And then, you know, crazy thing that happened to her childhood that kind of trickled down to me as somebody who is resilient because I've seen my grandma's resilient. So, you know, it's very interesting to hear this multi-generational trauma and then what you had experienced that you had no idea why he was behaving like that. But now you're an, an adult and doctor, pediatric doctor, that you understand the psychological effect that trauma causes. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as you're saying, like the, the, the childhood experience of um, is what the kids can also relate to. Uh, you know, when you were talking about the, the survivor who spoke to your son in middle school, um, I think, you know, my father's story, the fact that he experienced all of this like uh, wartime loss in, in, from childhood through, you know, with his early adult years makes a story like really compelling to children. You know, I would love to see young people like read this book. It's it's definitely written on a level that they could understand and relate to. Um, so it's uh, like, it could be a YA book. I, I, didn't, I didn't market it as that, but it, it definitely could be. And I think, you know, here, having them hear the story in, in, um, in school would be would be terrific because it's, it's very, very relatable. But um, I, uh, yeah, I lost the train after that. I don't know what, I don't know what else I was going to say, but yes. Yes, agreed, yes. Um, so, and yeah, resilience, yes. Yeah, and the point is to not erase the history, the propaganda or media. We should always respect the factuals. And then you mentioned that, you know, Holocaust didn't happen. Like, you know, people try to, like, you know, hash, hash. And then that, that kind of things, you know, in the history, not that um, extent, but for instance, just as, as as an example, our town had experienced the sexual abuse perpetrator who was in the leadership that they were trying to hash hash. And then people can do that. People like ban the book, 
oh, you know, people can do that. But then as a survivor, direct survivor, like um, what I witnessed on Tuesday, that's a direct story that like, you know, how can you erase this? And then the book that you wrote, how can people erase that? And then I think one of the thing is adversity, if we categorize it as, is who's trying to do this? And then who's trying to ban the history? Who's trying to control what had happened? And then in a way that some people want us to write, rewrite the history and that's right. wrong. And how do you fight with that? I I don't I don't know except uh, power in numbers, strength, being loud, um, being persistent, um, not going with the flow. But you know I think that uh, not being silenced. Uh, you know I think uh, silence is the most. I think that idea. You know and I, I you know I think that certainly happened during the Holocaust is when people were told that um, just be good. Um, and then, you know, things will blow over. There was a lot of talk about that. Uh, I think rabbis told the citizens of, Ger of uh, the Jewish citizens of Germany, just be good and, uh, you know, you'll be rewarded, um, you know, by by the Nazis and by God, you know, if you're just good. But I, uh, and that's not to say that everybody was, I mean, there were plenty of people who were trying very hard to rebel and resist. But I think that idea that, um, like even now, if there's um, anti-Semitism that you just keep your head down as opposed to standing up, I would say you know, people should be vocal and you should stand up as loudly as they can. It's very interesting because, again, I'm e Asian female, as you can tell, and as a journalist and TV film producer, I always fight like 10, 20 times louder or harder to be in my position and have accolades and then be able to not um, worry about what people think. And, you know, what you said about anti-Semitism, like me as an Asian, I supposed to be quiet and I supposed to not really share my opinion. So that's a fight. And then sometimes they discredit me because maybe they can walk all over me, but then how, how do you overcome that? How do you feel your power and then telling your father's story and your story as well that you should not be afraid? And obviously you published a book about your father. You should not be afraid. And then you felt the worth of it and you felt the fight was worth of it. And then that's a big steps um, that we as, you know, collaborative that to exercise our First Amendment, freedom of speech, but um, it always should be protected, but sometimes it's hard. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. And also like, you know, to be, I'm not, the truth is I'm not really a fighter, you know, my, uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with my upbringing. You know, I was silenced a lot. So it's not easy for me to, uh, you know, if somebody says, shut up, I, I'm a good girl and I shut up, you know, that's, that's how I was raised to be good. So it's not so easy for me to, to speak out once somebody, um, 
you know, tells me like what you said was not okay. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I mean, I can be very, you know, dramatic in, in other ways, but, but I'm not, um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily good at going against the, against the grain. That's not necessarily um, what my instincts are. So I have to work against myself to, uh, to push, um, to be heard. It's, it's not my nature. So put well, thank you. <laughs> Do <Nice>. my best. <laughs> Appreciate it. So let's move on to our second question, which is one of my favorite part of the podcast. That I would love you to share some of the tools that you use to overcome these challenges and adversities. The reason why this is absolutely my favorite part of the podcast, Audrey, and then our audience is. I've had you are my 125th guest, and then all the guests who had yes, all had all the guests who had shared their extreme adversities, they had their very original, unique tools. Um, not on the book, not on some internet that they actually use, and it was um was able to overcome some of the challenges that I actually was able to apply it myself. So, Audrey, what would you say? some of the tangible tools that you use to overcome your adversity? Um, so I, I think that uh, uh, a tremendous like ingenuity and adaptability would be what I would say, like when you have nothing, um, I don't want to say I had nothing. I mean, that's it's an exaggeration, but I think, you know, we felt so many times like, well, we just didn't have things, you know? So, you know, if I, there was like a, a camping trip, for example, you know, with, with a sleepover when I was in, I went to a day camp, they had a sleepover and I just didn't have a sleeping bag. So I had to like invent one on my own. Like, I just like, I, I don't know where my parents were. <laughs> like her uh so i just like i took i i like created one with like you know sewing things together and just had to just use like tremendous ingenuity to to put piece something together or make a costume for halloween or um and this was you know again a, a lot of times this was without parental in intervention because i think my mother was very busy trying to she was working and she was trying really hard to always keep my father calm. So her focus of attention was on him and trying to keep the waters steady. So I think my sister and I felt a lot like we were uh, on our own taking care of each other, which I think was very, very helpful for us that we had each other. But I, but as a result, like we were, um, up to our own devices to try to figure this all out. And uh, um, we were very close and we just were just tremendously, had just tremendous ingenuity. Um, so that, I think that was uh, something that, that we did, you know, just to figure out how to, how to survive. And then I also had a very rich, um, fantasy life <laughs> um just rich imagination of like where i would be other than home which perhaps powered my um uh <laughs> creativity in in some other ways 
uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's why I was able to, to write a book. I don't know. Cause I really didn't do anything creative for, uh, I mean, I did, you know, I had my, both my sister and I were creative and we had music and things, but you know, because I went into medicine, there was no outlet for creativity for a really, really, really long time. And only now did I know that I could write a book because, you know, I didn't really know that I had that ability. But I think there was always like a, you know, I always imagined stories. And I think they were like escape. Um, I think I had escape fantasies my whole life that were very, very vivid. Well, thank you, Audrey, for sharing the tools. So let's move on to the last question, which is the gift that came from your adversity. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? I think empathy is, was a very big gift um, uh, to, you know, for, for the underdog, for understanding, you know, as a physician, for understanding where people were coming from with their own like anxieties and troubles. Um, you know, I used to, sometimes people would come into the office and they'd be screaming, you know, at the front desk person, why is it so, I'm so late and I've been waiting for so long. And, and then, you know, people would say, oh my God, she's such a bitch. And I would be like, no, 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 that's anxiety. And that's difficulty handling stress and not, you know, I mean, I saw that at home and I understood by then, you know, of course I was full fledged adults have been in practice for a while. And I, I understood where that was coming from. That's not, that's not being mean. That's being, that's not knowing what to do with, uh, not knowing how to manage anxiety. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's all kinds of reasons for people behaving certain ways. And it's not, it's not a black and white thing. Like you're nice and you're mean. I mean, there's no such thing as that. There's just so many other psychological reasons. So even though I don't have a psychology degree or anything, like I understood human nature enough to understand family dynamics and dysfunctional family dynamics. And it helps so much in, in the practice of medicine. And then the reverse was true by seeing all these families in medicine and all of the hardships they were undergoing that even also, you know, helped me with empathy and helped me understand my own, you know, family uh, structure too. So it was kind of a back and forth thing, but without doubt, I've always been a champion of, um, of the underdog and try to understand people's motives instead of judging them. Well, thank you so much, Audrey. So if you can show your book one more time for our audience and then, uh, tell the title. It's American Wolf, and that title is based on um, my father's given name was Wolf, and he was told he had to change it when he got to this country. They said, or they would tease him mercilessly because he was bullied terribly when he came here. And so his process of trying to become an American is the basis for the title. So it's American Wolf from Nazi refugee to American spy, because he went back to Germany as an American intelligence officer during the Cold War. Uh, so American Wolf from Nazi Refugee to American Spy, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, local booksellers, uh, Walmart, you know, pretty much anywhere you can buy a book. And uh, people seem to be loving it. Uh, they keep saying it's a page turner and it should be turned into a movie, which is the best uh, compliment I could possibly get. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Before you go, Audrey, I would love you to have a space to give advice for people who's going through 
some of the adversity that you went through, especially after October 7th? Um, well, I would say, I mean, first of all, I do think that you, talking, talking is good. Talk to people, talk to other people, be kind to yourself, um, you know, give yourself room to mourn and to feel sad without self-judgment, um, you know, validate your own feelings and, and Although I think it's okay to be angry, again, sympathy for people who are on the other side is always good too. And this is the same as when people are like, when Democrats are upset with Republicans, you know, you have to sort of understand where people are coming from. They're coming from a different place, a different educational background. They see things differently. They're not necessarily wrong. They just have a different perspective. If we could talk to each other and understand each other and educate as opposed to just yelling at each other it would it would serve a lot of good absolutely well thank you very much for being here today and sharing your story and your father's story i can't thank you enough for your time thank you so much for having me jury i really appreciate it absolutely well thank you to our audience for tuning into another episode of a gift from adversity we'll see you next time